Welcome back to an all new episode of Game Misconduct. Today we're talking trade deadline and what the VGK are getting in the newest edition of Matthias Yanmark. Plus some of your questions from social media lead us down an interesting road. I mean, it's crazy. They have like six full meals a game day. If Stormy and I ate the way, even half of the way that they did, we would be unrecognizable to you. <laughs> Our game misconduct guest of honor is Sharon Tuck, who gives us the lowdown on what it's like to be a hockey mom. Mother of Golden Knights forward Alex Tuck shares her initial reaction to her son getting sent to the 702. He got picked play in Vegas and we were like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I said, what's a 20-year-old kid going to do in Vegas? <laughs> we were like a little worried about it, but then we're like, what a great opportunity for him to start over again, right? Why the number one rule in her and Carl's household was that their kids work hard and have fun. The only two things you can control is attitude and effort. And if you don't have that or you don't have the passion, then find another passion. You know what I mean? And some insight into the backyard rink of dreams. All of them skated in our backyard because it didn't matter how old you were. You know, Alex invited the whole neighborhood over, whether you were 14, 16, and he was like six and seven. Who cares? Time now to welcome you in to Game Misconduct. Alyssa, a lot has happened. I haven't seen you in what feels like forever. Random question off the top, though. How invested were you in in Masters Week this past weekend? Literally as least invested as a person could be. <laughs> really? No way. Yeah, I am not really a golf person. I don't play. So the, the Masters that was held in, what was that, November was that the rescheduled one? Going into it, I said, Justin, D Justin, so much I know about golf. Dustin Johnson is going to win because that's the only golfer that I really know. And everybody laughed at me. And what do they know? Yeah, clearly. Although I will say me and Darren also made that pick last year. Did you? Yeah. Then why was everyone laughing at me? I don't know. I, they shouldn't have been. DJ was the man. Um, but I, Okay. And, so yeah. I know and then <laughs> nobody this year, though, because we did the player picks and the broadcaster picks. Nobody had Hideki Matsuyama. Pretty cool win for him. First Asian-born player to win the tournament. First native of Japan to win a major. So huge for the country of Japan and for him. But I was like... I was really into it. I've been golfing in my hallway and <laughs> um, and Xander Schauffele, who is a former San Diego State player, ended up making the top three. He made a push at the at the end of the tournament and I really thought he was gonna make it competitive there late and then he hit the ball into the water. So it wasn't great, but. Were the guys talking about it a lot? I know they're very into golf. So was there a lot of chatter? So, so much. And even when we were in St. Louis last week, the, the players had, some of the players had putters <laughs> and in the dining hall, we're shooting golf balls like around the dining room. Uh, and of course, you know, Mark Stone is like the biggest golf fan on the planet. When we were in Lake Tahoe on the outdoor rink, he was more concerned about the fairway <laughs> than, than anything else, making sure the, the golf course was good. But hockey players absolutely love golf. And I mean, it's relaxing. It's low injury risk. You can have a beverage. Similar um, which, motion. Which we, <laughs> Yeah, so I get it. I get it. But mostly, like, the, the beverage thing. I mean, I'm a big Jack girl, Lissa, as you know, and Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey has something pretty cool going on. You can enter to win a chance for a shopping spree at the Armory. So you can get your gear on, root for the home team, and make it count with Jack Daniels. All you have to do is text Jack VGK to 68405. Multiple prizes will be awarded. You, you do have to be over 21, but get in there because the contest ends on May 8th, and you can get those official rules at jackdaniels.com slash jackvgk and as always our friends at Jack Daniels want you to please drink responsibly but what a cool opportunity Alyssa super fun and super cool little note about Jack Daniels is they just named a woman uh, Lexi Phillips as their assistant master distiller and she's the first woman to ever have that position at Jack Daniels so super cool so go go Lexi <laughs> go Lexi perfect for the pod that's awesome 
I know. That's what I said. I was like, let's give a little shout out to uh, Lexi Phillips. <laughs> also on this show, of course, um, we've been, you know, talking to and about women who work in hockey, but hockey moms, hockey wives, that's another world and perspective we really wanted to share. So um, later on in the show, we have an awesome guest connecting with Sharon Tuck, mother of Golden Knights forward, Alex Tuck. So that'll be a really fun conversation. But Alyssa, before we get into that, obviously huge news in VGK land and the NHL world with the trade deadline this past Monday. All signs it felt like were pointing to a quiet day for the Golden Knights because of cap constraints. But Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee did it again. And it was a relatively quiet day compared to the last few years. Like just one trade, I can I can deal with this. But yes, the Golden Knights uh, were in a little three-way trade with Chicago and San Jose. And the Golden Knights have forward Matias Janmark. Yep. Yes, I think that he's a really good addition for this group. Everything we've heard about him is that he's, you know, versatile, fast. He's excited to be here. Could be exactly what that middle six needed. And when Pete DeBoer was talking about how he visualizes um, his position working out. It's on that kind of third line with Alex Tuck and Tomas Nosek. And obviously we've seen the success that Nosek has had lately, the speed that Alex Tuck brings. And he said, but we plan and God laughs. So (laughs) who really knows? You know, we can plan and coordinate this however we want, but who knows what will actually happen. And I think the best part about this trade is that Kelly McCrimmon said, we don't want to really sell. (laughs) And they, you know, they sent a second and third round pick and then a fifth round to Chicago, then a fifth round pick to San Jose. That was initially uh, Buffalo's that we received in the Colin Miller trade. So really, you know, the Golden Knights didn't give up really anything uh, near term, short term for this acquisition. And he create some competition in that middle six, like you said. And there's, you know, there's some players, there's the Thomas Nozicks and the Alex Tucks playing really well right now. So this creates kind of a, a little push for the centers. Um, but I, I know in the trade deadline show, Darren and Shane kept going back and forth, calling him a winger and calling him a center. So that'll be another piece of seeing where Yanmark ends up. <laughs> Forward. Forward. (laughs) Just forward. (laughs) He's absolutely an upgrade. Um, Somebody that does provide what he does, the goal scoring ability. I know people might look at the numbers and say, oh, he's had one goal in his last 10 games. He's in a skid. But when your name is on the trade deadline block like his was, understandably, like that can take a bit of a mental toll. So I wouldn't take much of that into account. Something I think Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee, the Golden Knights scouting staff is always really, really good at is looking at players on teams that the Golden Knights have played or are around and identifying talent and identifying what talent can fit with them. We're seeing that right now with Matias Yanmark, who obviously was with the Dallas Stars during that Western Conference final run um, last year in the bubble, and they got a really good look at him then. We saw it with Chandler Stevenson, who came over from the Capitals playing the Golden Knights in that cup final. Yeah, Alec Martinez. Yeah, Yeah. Alec Martinez. Nick (laughs) Waugh. even and Patrick Brown those players that they got from the the checkers in the AHL I mean look at our head coach (laughs) that that's a real skill that our management team has in terms of identifying identifying people what were some of the more interesting trades that you saw out there I I think Tampa Bay with as little cap space as they had adding Savard to their blue line was the way that was pulled up that was another three-way deal uh, with Detroit in the mix and and, you know, Detroit is one I want to mention, too. So, you know, going back to Tampa Bay, like that was they didn't have a lot of room to work with there. And they added a top four defenseman into their lineup. But mentioning Detroit again, I mean, they're a team that's rebuilding. <laughs> they're not making the playoffs this year. They're in their rebuilding phase. And the amount of picks that they were able to add with you know, they were part of that trade. They were part of a huge last minute trade with the Capitals sending Mantha there for 
for a couple forwards and a couple first and second round picks. So the they and Columbus really loaded up on picks. So I know it's really easy to talk about these bigger teams that are making a run and adding in these huge pieces that they need. But also want to give a shout out to, to some of the teams that realize they're not in a spot to push for a playoff position or not in a spot to make a run and just saying, OK, we're just going to be sellers to load up on picks for the next couple of years. And, you know, it, it'll be really interesting to see uh, how teams like that kind of what they do with these picks over the next couple of years. But uh, that was that was my answer I wanted to give was I'm giving shout out to the, the teams that kind of maybe flew a little under the radar and just really stocked up for their future. Well, then mine feels super basic because I was thinking Felino to Toronto. So, but I mean, still a huge, still a huge move. No, but like you said, there there weren't really the same fireworks this trade deadline as there were year, years past, but there were a lot of intriguing deals and, you know, deals that'll make an impact on kind of the balance of power in these divisions. I mean, you saw the, the top four teams in the East being really aggressive. Most of the teams, though, in the West uh, kept pretty quiet. Were you surprised by that? Ish. I, I was a little surprised to... Minnesota and St. Louis just kind of hanging tight. I wasn't totally expecting that. Um, I didn't expect them to make huge waves, but I, I was kind of just keeping an eye on like, is anything anything smaller going to happen here? Um, yeah, it's interesting to look at the the kind of the bubble teams, like the teams that are on the verge of playoffs or not. And it's kind of their general manager. They're saying like, OK, we're doubling down on this group we do have or, you know, we're we're filling a hole that we see because typically teams in that position do have holes that they can identify with teams like that you could be equally surprised or not surprised (laughs) in any decision that they make but um you know you don't know what what's being asked of them to give up in those situations either so you never you never really know what the conversations that are happening behind the scenes um one team that did i feel i shouldn't say (laughs) overhaul but (laughs) made some pretty big changes to their roster is uh the avalanche so what do you think of all their moves Yeah, so for me, this whole time, whenever anybody asks me the deciding factor when it comes to postseason between the Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche, what is it? For me, it was always if the Golden Knights had the upper hand, it was because of goaltending and because of the two elite netminders that they have in Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. And Colorado has Philip Grubauer and that's all they had. And so now they're able to add some depth at that position with Devin Dubnik coming over. I know he hasn't been fantastic the last couple of seasons, but he is a recognizable name. He is a steady goaltender. He provides them depth at the position. They also, the other day, um, got Jonas Johansson, uh, another acquisition, just giving them depth at that with Pavel Fransuz out for you know the regular season to be able to have that depth that goaltender is a huge bump for them it was definitely an expected and necessary thing for the abs to do I still think obviously the Golden Knights have the edge in that area but it does make an already very dominant very good Colorado Avalanche team that much stronger um, to get them to the postseason and where they want to be. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that was really the one hole you could poke in Colorado's roster was their backup goaltending. And, you know, especially in this year, everybody knows you need two really strong goaltenders to do anything in this league down any playoff stretch, but even just in this regular season with the volume of games that are happening. So it they literally took the words out of my mouth that it makes a really good avalanche team even better, which is if you're the Golden Knights, that's that's kind of scary. <laughs> it is scary. Who? So, OK, I know who we all thought would be the top four in the West um, at the beginning of the season. We all thought that it was going to be Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota and St. Louis with St. Louis teetering the way that they have and Arizona creeping in. And like, who do you think the top four ultimately will be? I, I think who you just said, honestly. 
I still think so, but what did it take the words out of Pete DeBoer's mouth? God makes predictions and or we make predictions and God laughs. <laughs> yeah, we plan and God yeah. laughs. For sure. And something with the Golden Knights specifically, I'm really eager to see how it pans out is the goaltender rotation. It's been a, you know, point of emphasis all year long. And when Robin Leonard was out with a concussion for as long as he was, obviously you rode Mark Andre Fleury, but now you've been back to kind of that one and one for the most part. Robin has been excellent. And, and Marc-Andre Fleury has been good as well. I know he has more losses under his belt recently. Um, it, it took him a little bit longer to reach a certain milestone than he was hoping to. But, I mean, let's, let's highlight that, actually. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury has moved up once again the all-time wins list and the shutouts list. Yeah, he is uh, in fourth right now. He just tied Ed Belfour, who, you know, he's talked about as somebody who he kind of looked up to as a goals hunter. So that has to be a really, a really cool feeling for him. And again, it took him a little longer than expected, but it's it's the end of the season. Teams are teams are playing good hockey right now. Teams are making pushes. Teams are fighting for that top seed. So it's you know overall the we talk about the goaltending, but I think what really needs to be looked at in the past few games is the inconsistency in the amount the Golden Knights have been scoring. It feels like everywhere they're scoring one goal or eight goals. So, and that's not on the goaltender. No, that's a really good point because those losses for Marc-Andre Fleury, I mean, yeah, there were some opportunities where he could have maybe kept the Golden Knights more in the game at certain points, but if you're not having goal support, there's nothing that a goaltender can do if they're if ultimately the guys on offense aren't putting the puck in the net on the opposite end. And we heard Mark Stone say last week in a post-game press conference that the guys who are being paid to score goals need to score goals. And I think what we saw earlier this week was really important to see guys like Mark Stone and Alex Tuck break their droughts and Max Pacioretty to score his 300th career goal and to have those guys be the right guys, as Pete DeBoer said, to get on the board at this point in the season and hopefully, you know, end those skids, take off and be playing at their best ahead of a playoff push. Yeah. And that's what makes Mark Stone such a great captain. This has been talked about since he said it, but he's the first person to take responsibility when pucks aren't going in the net. And he's right. Your highest paid forwards need to be the ones who are scoring. And we have seen a little bit more of that recently, which is, you know, you need to be able to rely on Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty and Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith and William Carlson to score goals for you on a regular basis. Those need to be the guys leading the way. And it's great when you have guys like Nozick who are <laughs> producing out, out of their mind. But <laughs> that aside, you need to be able to re- rely on your best players to lead the scoring for you. And I mean, side note, Nozick, what? <laughs> Alyssa, I said on the radio the other day, like, I don't know if Tomas Nozick got bit by a radioactive spider or what happened, <laughs> but I am so, he's been so exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, and you can tell the way that he has been driving the net. And I mean, he always talks about, he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been doing the same thing, maybe playing a bit more simple. Like he's playing a lot more direct in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah. And he's, He's using his strengths to his advantage, really. He's using his speed and his size. You look at him, he's not the biggest guy out on the ice. He's not the fastest, but he's leaning. Like you said, he's playing direct. He's using leaning into his strengths right now. And I just need to mention, this is not about his playing, but how cute was that when he, after he scored. So I'll just, for those of you who didn't notice it or don't know the backstory behind it, since the first season, whenever Tomas scores, he, when his wife is in the stands, he kind of finds her and blows her a kiss. And it's just, it's, it's the cutest thing. It's just so adorable. And this was in Sunday's game. He, as he does, he scored. He saw his wife and his oldest son, who was at his first Golden Knights game. He saw him in the stands and blew him a kiss. And he said, that was my son's first time seeing his dad score a goal in person. So I just wanted to 
wanted to say and it's just i know no, like, that's oh. so cute and i do feel bad he he obviously took um he's he's had some damage happen to his lip whether it's a puck <laughs> or a stick or anything he's wearing the fishbowl right now but he kind of joked that he's been a, a magnet his mouth has been a magnet for damage recently but in terms of the family aspect i actually think that's a really good transition to get us into our guest segment with alex tuck's mother sharon tuck she was fantastic to chat with and she did talk to us a little bit about what it's like having to watch someone you love out there deal with injuries and deal with the ups and downs and it's a really good conversation with Sharon so let's jump right in. Well first off Sharon welcome how are you doing today how's everything going? I'm great thank you thanks for having me. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. And, you know, the main topic of our show is highlighting women who work in hockey. But I feel like the women who really work some of the hardest and longest hours actually go unpaid. Uh, They're the hockey moms. And I mean, how many jobs do you really have? It's like part time chef, doctor, dentist, taxi taxi driver. driver. (laughs) Yes, exactly. What am I missing? Keep going. Oh, nurse, doctor, whatever, right? Equipment manager. Teacher. (laughs) Right, right. Is it ever bodyguard also, like at practices back in the day? Do you ever have to stand up for Alex or Luke or anything like that? Uh, Yes. (laughs) There used to be fights in the stands. There used to be among the parents. The parents would fight and the opposing team, the parents would bicker back and forth and then they would have to stop the game and then some people would get kicked out. Were you ever a part of that or were you the mediator? Um, A little. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have to stick up for your kid, right? Yeah, I mean, I think any mom out there would do the same. I remember once my mom got into it at one of my brother's games with like a 6'4 man started yelling at her and she was like off of her feet. My dad was having to hold her back and I was like, oh, that's the the hockey mom. Hockey, yeah, hockey brings out the best of us, right? Right. It's our passion. We're passionate about hockey. So with that, I guess, do you have any advice for any any new moms that are trying to get their kids into sports or into hockey that you really wish that you would have maybe had along the way? Um, well, enjoy the game, right? And life is so short and they grow, grow up so fast that enjoy every minute of it. And don't get wrapped up in the drama and the and whatever in the stands. Don't get... We'll get wrapped up in that, that's for sure. It's so interesting because your family comes, all of your children are just such great athletes. You have Luke and Leah in college right now, and Alex obviously plays with the Golden Knights. So did your perspective on having such great child athletes sort of change with the twins because you kind of knew what to expect with Alex already? Yeah, well, I, we were very fortunate that the twins were pretty athletic. So when I had the twins, obviously Luke right away at two and a half, he was uh, riding a bike and skating. And then Leah followed in his footsteps. You know, he she liked skating, but not um, like Luke did. But um, Luke was very, you know, he had to keep up with his the, his big brother and all of his friends. So he was, um, he said, if I want to play with the big dogs, I got to, I got to learn how to skate, right? You hear of so many parents who, you know, really everyone thinks their kid is going to make it to the NHL or make it to the NFL or NBA. And Luke is drafted and Alex is doing that. So at what point did you realize, okay, these these two boys have an actual chance and around what age were they when you started to realize that? And how did that change the investment you put into the sport? Well, I think we were reality based. We said that, you know, he was a really good skater and people would come up to us. And then he would uh, he was um, playing on a team in uh, Montreal called the Montreal Ice Storms in the spring. And he was asked for about three years to play on that. And there were some really good skaters and he was doing really well on the team. And then after that, he played on a junior B's team and then he played for the uh, national team development program. And we thought when he um, was invited to play on the national team development program, we're like, well, he's got a chance. You know what I mean? There's a lot of great players in the, in the U S and he was picked as one of the top players. So we thought, well, 
you know, hopefully we're on the right road. I actually worked at the development program when Alex was there. So I've known him. Yeah, I was I was in college and I was interning there when he was there. So it's funny because Alex and I go really far back and now we're both in Vegas. So it is How cool a very. Yeah, it's a very small world. I remember when uh, he joined the Golden Knights. We're like, hey, what are we both doing out here in Vegas? Such a, a small world. But what was that decision like for you? Because he was, what, 14, 15, right? When he, 15, 16, when he left home to go right. to Michigan for the development program. So I can't imagine as a mom, that was very easy. No, it was very, a, a very um, stressful decision. Um, you know, hockey's hockey and school's school. It's who he's going to live with every day and come home. Are they going to take good care of him? You don't know these people. They're strange people. You have no idea who they are. And, um, you know, if he's sick or, you know, I don't know, no one takes is going to care of your kids is the mother. Right. So we, you know, it was, you know, we were very concerned about a lot of things, but he was so blessed. He he landed a fantastic host mom and dad. And to this day, they follow him all over and go visit him. They've been to Vegas numerous times and and they've been a part of our life now, a part of our family. So we were very blessed. That's cool. It's an extended family now. And I, I even know when when the Golden Knights have gone out to play like in Buffalo, he's had what, 400 people at a game at, at some point. How cool is that to see the support that he has had and like really the, the family that's grown from all of this? Yes, we have a lot of support here in Syracuse and uh, we have fantastic friends and family. And so uh, the one game was in Buffalo and so so many of our friends and family were allowed to make the game because they thought that's probably the closest I'll ever get to see Alex play in the NHL so uh, we all went up what was it the first year I think or the second year we all drove up um, and um, we all got to see Alex play and then for as a thank you for uh, being so supportive uh, Alex wanted to buy everyone dinner that night. So he bought 300 people, all oh. our friends and family. We rented a, a restaurant up the fourth floor and he wanted to give back to the community because they've been so gracious to him and supportive that he bought everyone dinner as a thank you. So it was great. That is so sweet. I love that. What was your reaction when Alex joined the Golden Knights? And we talked to the players about it around the expansion draft and what their reaction was to coming to this new team in a new city. What did you think? Were you just excited to have an excuse to come to Vegas? <laughs> well, at first, we found out like on the TV, he was he got picked play in Vegas and we were like, oh, my gosh. I said, well, what's a 20-year-old kid going to do in Vegas? <laughs> we were like a little worried about it. But then we're like, what a great opportunity for him to start over again, right? And to meet new players and everyone's starting from day one. So we were very uh, happy once we went out there and saw where he was living. And the team's fantastic and the people are great. And just uh, management and the ownership, just everything is just a great experience we've had and the people have been fantastic so it's been great and look how far he's come too uh since joining the vgk the the progress he's made i mean you look at his performance in the bubble last year and you, it, that kind of reminded me of when you talk about how alex had to leave home from such an early age like now i'm sure you guys get super excited when you're able to see him and go to games and when he's able to visit during this pandemic, how tough has that been? Was that bubble experience maybe the longest time you guys had gone without actually getting to see Alex? Yes. Well, we haven't seen him since October, so that's been really oh. hard, you know. Um, but you know what? Everyone's in the same boat. It's not just about me and my kid. I mean, everyone has a story to tell, right, during this pandemic. And so we just keep it really positive and we do some Zoom calls and we get to see him on TV. And I can't wait to hug him, give him a big kiss. <laughs> 
I'm sure he can't wait for that too. Um, because you did mention like a 20 year old coming to Las Vegas, this triggers a question for me from when he was younger. We always hear about these players that turn into real professional athletes and they have just different childhoods, different lives. Like what are some normal things about Alex that he did? Like, did he get in trouble as a teenager? Did you ever catch him sneaking in or out of a window or like faking sick to play hooky from school? Any of those things? Give us the dirt. Actually, he really doesn't have much dirt. Believe it or not. Really? There's to be something. (laughs) He was an old soul. You know, he loved spending time with like his aunts and uncles, the grandmother. He was very close to his older grandmother and great grandma. He used to play knee hockey with, you know, and he always was an old soul, loved to play board games. Was a great kid. We, you know, he was playing so much hockey. And they always had to get up early in the morning that he really didn't. He wasn't, you know, he was a really good student. So it wasn't like uh, he failed tests and like I used to climb out of the window. You, you said board games. I know during the pandemic, he got really into puzzles. Yes. We sent him out a bunch of puzzles. My girlfriend owned a little toy company. So we were all sending him out some puzzles and he loves all board games. He loves to play cards and um, he, I don't know, any kind of board game, Yahtzee and Clue and he, I don't know. He's up for a board game anytime. Where did Alex's passion for hockey come from? Were you a fan of the sport growing up? Did your husband Carl play hockey or where did that come from? And did, did you know a lot about the sport before you started playing? Uh, we had friends that used to play in the, in a uh, travel team on travel teams and uh so when i had alex our neighbor right next door to us uh was tim conley and he's an nhl player well he was an nhl player for the uh islanders and uh, the buffalo sabers actually so his father used to talk to us a lot and um when i had alex about two and a half we put him in rollerblades and he took right off and we're like hmm roller wow he could skate right away so then we tried skating so uh, and he did a great job on skating. So he was really uh, pretty athletic, so. So Tim Connolly, a neighbor, and you have all of those kids in your neighborhood on that street that went on to either become division one collegiate athletes or professional athletes. Like, what was that like when you watch these kids play in pickup on the street? It's awesome. And all of them skated in our backyard because it didn't matter how old you were. You know, Alex invited the whole neighborhood over, whether you were 14, 16, and he was like six and seven. Who cares? You know, Uh, the neighbor to the left of me, uh, he has a prosthetic leg and he used to go out there. He used to borrow skates from us and you never even know he had cancer. Right. And he has a prosthetic leg. Now he's in their sled hockey for the he plays for the U.S a sled hockey team. It was, it was great. There was, we were always pulling that out, out of the street. The car went by and the kids, you know, they would throw the sticks in the middle and they say, okay, you're on this team, that team, you know, they would say, and they'd have a ball and then they would all wear jerseys, you know, whether it was street hockey or regular hockey and a lot of memories in the backyard because we used to have the hockey rink. So we've heard a lot about the rink. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. What can you tell us about the rink of dreams? Because I know Alex likes to say that the first, the first season that it was back there, it was 18 inches on one side and three inches on the other. And then the next year, Carl leveled the whole backyard and every year from there, it just got better and better. So what, what are your memories of that? Oh, shoveling. <laughs> you know, we didn't have a snowboard. We used to shovel the rink and, and then, so then the kids would play and then the neighbors would probably hear all night, the banging of the boards, you know, the pucks on the boards. And actually the neighbors say they miss that. You know what I mean? We used to have spotlights probably right in their back windows. They were probably mad, but it was all good. Great memories. And, uh, you know, we would have a bonfire out there in the snow and then the parents would sit around and have a nice cocktail where the kids were playing. And then the kids would, you know, check each other right in the snow. There would be big snow mounds around the rink. So it was great. The best, best memories ever. As a parent, you know, you talk about the childhood and how much fun it is and these great memories. But I imagine there's got to be some anxiety watching games, too. And um, when, you know, it's actually your child out there, the reactions that you have. Oh, yeah. Um, I worry about the injuries. You know what I mean? that's really what scares me the most you know what and then you worry about oh my gosh when it's overtime the score and then you're you can't sleep after the game and you're just hoping you know every, everything goes well and you know we're always rooting for the win but 
It is what it is. But anyway, so I really worry about the injuries, though. You know what I mean? Players, not just my kid. I just worry. And is that something that when you when Alex was at the development program, I know a lot of those kids end up going to college, but some go the junior route. So was that something that was important to you that you helped instill in your kids to go the college route to have an education to fall back on because a career in athletics, you never know how it's going to go. So is that something that was really important to you? Yes, we wanted him to go away to college. We said he's you're like, get out. <laughs> no, we said that he's a really good student. And we said, God forbid, if something happened, you know what I mean? In hockey, you always had an education to fall back on. Yeah, and that's great. No guarantees of making it in the NHL just because you go to the national team development program or just because you make it in the AHL doesn't mean you make it to the NHL. So. When Alex did go through like his injury issues, I know each of the last few seasons, like this was the first year he actually got to start the season with the team because he was fully healthy. And we talk about when he's a little kid, you kind of can play therapist and help him through things. But what was that like as an adult when he was going through those things? Yeah, very stressful. We always kept it very positive. You know what I mean? And and um, I think he's more of a worry war anyways, like his mother. But just said, you know, every day is a different day. You know, you go out there and sometimes when you're practicing, you you know, three steps ahead, you might fall back too. you know, I, I don't know with the injury. It's scary. And you just hope for the best. Right. Don't go back too early. So then if you do get hurt, you're out for six more weeks or a month. So make sure you're healed. How good of a big brother is Alex? Because I know whenever he talks about Luke and Leah, his face just lights up. And I'm sure him and Luke have a unique relationship, just him, you know, Luke following in Alex's footsteps. But to I think you are probably the best person to be able to talk about Alex as a big brother. So that's a side of him that we don't get to see and our fans don't get to see. But how is he as a big brother and what are is his relationship like with his younger siblings he's a great big brother he always took care of them and sometimes he would be like two two i'm like i'm the parent (laughs) you're the the brother i'll make the big decisions alex you know what i mean bossy pants but for the most part for the most part he he's been a great big brother to them and always taking care of them and always worrying about them whether it's in school their grades how they're doing and he always checks in on them and he's very um kind to them and generous very generous are there any examples that you can share with us of when he was big brother trying to play parent like any stories that come to mind oh my god (laughs) i don't know making i don't i don't remember just one but um just making like a a major decision and, and i'm like wait a minute that's you know, I'll, I'll make a decision. I'll be the mother. I'll be the parent. You take care of the other stuff. Yeah. Again, I, I, it's funny that no, having known him as a teenager and now knowing him as an adult and in this uh, role as, you know, a pseudo celebrity in Vegas and something that is really special is just seeing how much he cares about the community and his work with different cancer foundations and how much he really is always willing to jump into community initiatives. And he's so great with really any anything we're doing in the community is like a go-to for that. And that has to make you really proud as his mom to know that he's still that, that humble kid who really just wants to help people around him. And it sounds like that's what he's like as a big brother, but that has to make you proud as a mom to see that he hasn't lost that with the, the fame and the money. Yes. Because we always tell him never forget where you came from. Right. And always be humble and grateful. And um, yes, we are very, very um, happy that he's doing something. The Cancer Foundation, he's, you know, very busy working on that, which I th- we think it's fantastic because everyone in their families or friends know people that have had cancer, right? And so he wanted to start his own foundation. So uh, we are very, yes, happy and, and blessed. He's a, he's a great kid, really. 
Yeah, no question. And I know something that he has always said that he's so thankful to you and Carl about is the the deal you made with him when he was like five years old that um, no matter what he was doing, it was work hard and and have fun. And like that's the mentality you instilled not only in hockey, but in everything he did in life. Like why was that something that that you guys pushed so much for? Well, if you're not having fun, um, you know, we said the only two things you can control is attitude and effort. And if you don't have that or you don't have the passion, then find another passion. You know what I mean? That's great advice. I love that. Great advice. (laughs) This is going off the wall a little bit, but I did want to make sure that we talked about BC and BU. Like, how did that happen with your sons? So Alex went to Boston College and Luke decided to uh, play for uh, Boston University. So the uh, rival of Commonwealth Avenue there, they have uh, quite the rival. And uh, so their bands are back and forth. And so this year, Luke played Boston College twice and they lost it I think in overtime the first one and the second game he scored two goals and they won so uh Luke had bragging rights for one game so did well so so every year it'll just kind of alternate alternate right they're always gonna have bragging rights but two fantastic schools and very lucky they went to them very happy at least they weren't playing at the same time because that would have put you in a very weird situation Exactly right. There's a lot of like the Kachuk mother. The mother has the jersey that's, yeah. But, yeah. The fun little split ones. Yeah. So you were never forced to really, you could just root for your son. Right. <laughs> Which you're fortunate right. about. <laughs> Personally at the games though, you know, we miss seeing them. Yeah, I bet. What was that experience like when Luke got drafted and being able to be all together for that moment? That was really special. Um, we were in a hotel in Boston uh, because obviously Luke goes to Boston University and um, he was flying out um, to Michigan for a tryout the next day so he could not come home. We thought maybe he could come home and all the neighbors socially distanced, we could have it outside or figure something out and the family could be here to celebrate, you know. But unfortunately, we were out in Boston, we made the best of it. And just having all the children together was the best experience ever really that's amazing because you probably don't get all five of you together very much with the the crazy schedules of everyone so that's that's a really special moment I did have one last question for you um how different was it raising these two boys playing hockey and then raising Leah and obviously she's still an athlete herself but being able to give her her space and her moment and like let her be different Yes. Well, Leah uh, used to play uh, field hockey and lacrosse in um, school. And she decided just to play field hockey her last two years of high school. And um, she was thinking about um, playing field hockey in college. You know, we encouraged her to. um, And I thought she was pretty good at field hockey. And um, but she decided not to. She wanted to concentrate on her studies and just because of the opportunities after college. Wanted to uh, concentrate on um, her schoolwork and she's going to become a special ed teacher. Well, no, that's incredible to hear the path that she is on in the future. Like I have a younger brother with cerebral palsy. And so I know just how valuable special education teachers are and in that development and how tough of a job that really is. And it takes a special person to do. So that's really incredible. Like thank her for us. I will do that. She's such a sweetheart. I remember, I want to say it was the second season when she came in and shadowed us at the office for a day. And she's so polite and kind. And we had so much fun with her. I'm like, I, you could come work with us, Leah. We love you. <laughs> Sharon, thank you so much for everything. And also just for managing the calendars and everything that you must have done. Yes. For thank you to all the hockey yeah. moms. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And um, say hello to Alex out there for me. Yes, absolutely will. Coming out soon to see a game. We'll have to we'll have to say hello from our socially distanced inside the bubble. We'll we'll find you from the stands and wave to you. (laughs) It'd be fantastic. Thanks for having me, girl. (laughs) 
awesome to talk to Sharon. Such a very interesting to hear from a mom. We, you know, you we get so used to talking about uh, hockey and these players as professionals, and sometimes it's easy to forget that they're sons too. And there's there's moms who are sitting there just so oh, please don't get your teeth knocked out <laughs> watching every game. And she was uh, so sweet. Yeah, really appreciative of of her sharing her time with us. I mean, I would just like to sit down and like grab a cocktail with Sharon and have her spill some of those stories that she couldn't necessarily I know we're gonna get those out of her (laughs) yes when when she comes to Vegas and everybody's healthy and good we'll have to link up with her again um but I think one of my favorite parts of that conversation was hearing about Alex trying to be the parent to Luke and Leah at times (laughs) like can't you see that too that's like it just fits his personality very well. <laughs> 100%. And it totally reminded me of like my childhood and my brother and me. And like, I'm the younger sibling to my older brother. And whenever he would get in trouble for something, be like, well, you should have known better. I'm the older sibling and I can definitely relate. <laughs> That's actually, I can relate. That's actually yeah. very funny. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> um, so I actually decided I want to take the reins on our social segment today. If that is all right with you, Miss Yeah, Thing. go for it. I'm just going to sit back and relax. So, <laughs> found some really cool questions, and I might even throw one of my own in for you. But our first question is from April, asking, why does Alec Martinez always have to be the last man on the ice? Because hockey players are weird. Right? It's it's legitimately, as far as I know, it's just, <laughs> it's just what he does. There's no, it's just his it's thing. It's just habit. Yeah. And there's a lot of players that do that on teams across the league. It's not just an Alec Martinez thing. There's um, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but you'll see players do that from time to time. Um, Yeah, there's it's just weird. I don't know. Just like Marc-Andre Fleury and Shea Theodore do the puck off the helmet thing before they go off the ice. It's just something that happened one time that now they do all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no don't try to look into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah just, sometimes things just are what they are. Sandy wants to know, do they have a team meal sometime before each game? If so, what is Flower's favorite meal on game day? Um, and yes, they have a team meal. I don't know what Flower specifically eats. I have seen him get chicken, like chicken noodle soup broth and rice. He has a very sophisticated palate. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember if he was playing that day or not playing that day, but I've never really firmly paid attention to what specific guys are eating. Most guys will eat pasta before the game. And it's, I mean, it's crazy. They have like six full meals a game day. It's nuts. Like if, if Stormy and I ate the way even half of the way that they did you would we would be unrecognizable to you <laughs> no for real they have they have breakfast they have snack they have lunch they have snack <laughs> and then they have a meal at the rink pizza. after the game yeah post game pizza at the rink after the game sometimes and then an actual meal when they get back to the hotel or the plane so they call it the never hungry league it's it's crazy they're burning <laughs> It goes without saying, they're burning a crazy amount of calories where Stormy and I don't. Are not. We just... I don't. Our cardio is walking around the rink trying to figure (laughs) out where we can stand for games, so... But hey, maybe that's a good story idea, though. I'll have to talk to our people and see if I can find out some specific game day meals that guys eat. I've just never really thought that deep into it. One thing that is interesting about the game day meals, though, is that they are always the same options so you can tell that there is routine there because the options that are on the like buffet style layout thing there's a certain there's three different types of pastas there's three four different types of sauces that are available there's chicken every time that you know there's just certain things that are always there yeah hockey players are definitely creatures of habit and i've never worked in another for another league or another uh, pro sports team so I don't know if other athletes are the same you might know Stormy but I I don't know if all athletes just eat the exact same thing before their games or if that's a hockey thing I have no idea I actually laughed too when we were in St. Louis because um their dress room and their little like kitchen thing I don't know if that's actually where they eat but they're what was that (laughs) the wind just (laughs) knocked my uh my blinds like they like knocked the ceiling my dog and I just jumped out of our seat I'm not editing that out that's great (laughs) 
<laughs> it is pretty windy though. I'm looking out a window also. Yeah. Um, oh. But the, anyways, they had those little plastic containers like I know we have for like the oatmeal um, sides and stuff like that. And so I was like, maybe every team has the same thing. But I'm, I mean, they don't, I'm sure. But it made me laugh. Yeah. I have never thought about it. Never needed no, to. Ne- yeah, never <laughs> needed to. Maybe this is a story. Okay. I actually had a social question for you though that's actually about social because Uh I was trying to think obviously social media has got to be so easy when the team is doing great and first place in the division yada 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 but there are like slides where the team's not always winning and I was wondering like how do you create funny witting engaging content when you're sad like what (laughs) like how do you how do you still come up with funny things that people want to interact with, even though fans are like, oh, my gosh, I can't watch this game anymore. No, 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 no. You know how that how that happens. Yeah. Um, trial and error has helped because our fans uh, aren't quiet about when they aren't feeling the wit. So, <laughs> so no, it's a lot of it's a lot of trial and error. But at the end of the day, uh, our content team won its it's kind of a, I don't know if it's double-edged sword would be the right word, but on one hand, you know, it's our job to do it. So we're going to find a way. But on the other hand, we on our social take the approach of, you know, we're fans too. Like we, we are happy when the team wins and we are sad when the team loses. And so a lot of teams will just play the um, like kind of the third party who's just sharing the news and we lean into more of the no we're feeling these emotions with you so it's it's really just naturally being like hey you know we can we can still be funny when we're sad and still do things to maybe make you laugh without making light of what's happening on the ice and it just really tapping into what our fans are feeling and us feeling that too on Golden Knight Social. That's a really interesting approach. Like, we're just like you. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and that's something that we have a lot of fun with is we... It's 2021. People can get the news wherever they want. You can watch the game. You can listen to the game. You can follow all of our beat reporters. You can go to our website, go to NHL. You can get, if you just want the goal updates and the highlights, you can get those. But what can we provide that those platforms don't? And one is that we have access that nobody else does so we take advantage of that and we also like to take the approach of you we're just your friend that you're watching the game with so we like to kind of be there alongside people and maybe say something that your friend would say who's sitting right next to you watching the game and so we're kind of that you know we want to keep people coming to us and if it's just hey flower had another awesome save you know no one's they know that (laughs) so what can we do to make them get excited to talk to us no I love that and it totally works because I can speak from experience I like I have notifications on for when the golden knights tweet but it's so funny to me when I'm ringside and you or Gordon Weigers who kind of control those accounts um post something funny and I look at the notification and I'll just like look over you and be like that was good (laughs) (laughs) I know and it's it's funny because (laughs) you were just sitting there stone-faced typing out these things we look at Stormy and she'll just be cracking up and I'm like Stormy just is totally the audience that we're trying to reach. Because <laughs> she's just giggling over in the, Teamwork. On the glass. That's and, how you know yeah. it's working. That's how you know if you can make Stormy laugh. Not that it's that hard, but <laughs> if but you're not hey. making Stormy laugh, then it's a good thing. You're quick to I'm laugh. I'm a happy person. Quick to okay. smile. You and Darren Millard. Yeah, Darren is a very... He's just, just our little rays of sunshine in the on the broadcast team. Darren spent our meeting earlier... <laughs> complimenting people for about five minutes he just ran through pretty much everyone on the call giving them a compliment and then stormy does the same every week and i'm like you guys are just (laughs) this meeting would take forever if everyone was this nice so (laughs) but hey i still gave an update i was laughing at darren today because usually in that meeting we go around and we say you know what we're working on what's coming up and he like forgot to do that part (laughs) yeah he literally just complimented everybody was like (laughs) on our trade deadline content and the broadcasts we've had it was just it was hilarious so so, yeah, 
we have our little rays of sunshine who we love. <laughs> really good stuff. Well, this is a fun show, Alyssa. This was fun. Thanks thanks for having me, Stormy. Oh, any anytime. S- same time <laughs> next week. Um, another big thank you to Sharon Tuck for coming on and joining us and, you know, just having a really fun-filled conversation. And we will be back with more Game Misconduct soon. Bye.